Paul is asking the Christians at Rome five questions to be able to sum everything up. And he asked that questions, he's asking these questions not only to them, but also to us. And to stress home to us that we are more than conquerors. We are, we are more than victorious. And we saw this morning that the reason that we are more than conquerors is because, of, because God is for us. We also saw that because He gave up His Son, He delivered up His Son, the greatest thing that He had to, quote-unquote, overcome was to give up His Son, and He gave up His Son for us so we know that we're more than victorious. He's going to supply all of our needs. So God is for us. We learned that. We learned that He's going to supply all of our needs. All we have to do is look at the cross. And because of the cross, we, we know that. And then we also found out that we're more than conquerors, more, more than victorious, because no accusation can stand against us. Why? Because the one that the accuser is going to is also the one who has pardoned us. So we're finding that everything that, is being, that could be thrown at us to try and make us believe that we are any less than conquerors is falling apart. Paul goes on to ask a fourth question. Number four, if you will, take a look at verse 34. Who is he that condemneth? Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. I want you to look back at Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. What does he say there? There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So Paul has already um, emphasized, he's already told us that there's no condemnation for the believer. And then he's asking the question, who can condemn us? After all these things that we've just learned, after all these things I've just spoken to you, who can condemn us? You know, they, we would understand and, and we do understand that there may be those who may want to condemn us. We also understand, as we learned this morning, that our own heart, our own conscience can condemn us. There are critics, there are enemies, there are uh, the, the, the forces of hell who try and condemn us. But what we learn is that though they try, they will fail. Well, why is that? Letter A, take a look there. Because Jesus Christ has died. Because Jesus Christ has died. The point is that Paul's making is the very sins that could be used to condemn us are the exact sins that Jesus died for. Uh, look at what he says in verse, in, in, in verse 8, if you will, please. For what, could, what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. So, uh, uh, instead of God condemning us, he condemned his Son for us. And since he was condemned for us, he became the curse so that we didn't have to be condemned. I want you to turn over to Galatians chapter 3. Take a look here, if you would, please. Galatians chapter 3. Who is he to condemn us? Well, 
There's no one that condemn us because, can condemn us or nothing because Jesus Christ has died for us. Take a look at Galatians chapter 3, if you will. Jesus was made the curse for us so that we would not be condemned. Verse 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree. So condemnation, it fails for you, it fails for me, because Christ died for us. But not only it fails for us because Christ died for us, but take a look at letter B, if you will. Because Jesus Christ has risen to life. Because Jesus Christ has risen to life. There are multiple places in Scripture over and over and over again. The Bible affirms that Christ rose from the dead. In Luke chapter 24, verses 6 and 7, the Bible says, He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified in the third day, rise again. Then 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath uh, begotten us again unto a lively hope from the resurrection, uh, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Over and over, the Bible affirms that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, and that keeps us from the condemnation. Really, the key in understanding that we are not condemned is not only that Christ rose from the dead, but listen, I mentioned this, I touched on this a little bit this morning, but it was the Father that raised him from the dead. Now, I understand this says in Scripture that Jesus raised himself from the dead. And it also says in Scripture that the Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. There are reasons for that. But it also says in Scripture that the Father raised Jesus from the dead. Take a look, if you will, please, in Romans chapter 6. We see this, Romans chapter 6 and verse 4. And so in this context, we're seeing that it's important to understand that, that the Father raised Jesus from the dead. Romans chapter 6 and verse 4. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism in the death. Like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. You say, well, pastor, what is the importance of uh, stating that it, that it was the Father that raised Jesus from the dead? Well, this is key. And the reason that it's key is because it demonstrates his acceptance of the sacrifice of a son. It shows that Jesus' death and his resurrection was the only satisfactory basis for our justification. See, when, Jesus, when, when, Christ, when, when Christ was raised from the dead by the Father, the Father is putting his stamp of approval that what Jesus did on the cross and the condemnation that Jesus suffered was accepted by him. Take a look at Romans chapter 4 and verse 25. Romans 4.25, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. So, who is he that condemns us? Condemnation fails for us. Why? Because Jesus died. But secondly, because Jesus rose from the dead. But then thirdly, because Christ is at the right hand of God. These are all proofs that we cannot be condemned because Christ is at the right hand of God. Turn to Hebrews chapter 1, if you will, please. Hebrews chapter 1. 
I want you to take a look here and see this. Hebrews chapter 1. Because Christ is at the right hand of God. Take a look at verse 3. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. Who being the brightness of his glory in the express image of his person... And upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. You say, well, why is this important that Jesus is the right, at the right hand of God? <clears throat> because it lets us know that condemnation fails for us. We're not condemned. You say, well, okay, well, explain that. What the writer of Hebrews is referring to is the Old Testament priest. He's if you understand what the Old Testament priest <clears throat> would have to do, he's, he's referencing that without actually saying it. And he says that Jesus is standing or seated, I'm sorry, at the right hand of the Father. That's, that's really important. And the reason, for, the reason that that's important is because in the Old Testament, the priest would continually stand. The Old Testament priest, when he was making sacrifices, he would never be seated. The reason for that was to demonstrate that the work was never completed. The Old Testament priest would continually be offering sacrifices for himself, for the people, for the nation. <clears throat> and there were, there were multiple priests that would continue to do that sacrifice over and over and over and over again. And they never sat while they were, quote unquote, on the job. But when Jesus died on the cross and then rose again, it says in Hebrews that he sat down at the right hand of God. And what this does is it proves that we are no longer condemned. Those of us who are in Christ are no longer condemned. Why? Because when he sat down, you know what he was saying? He was saying that the job is finished. Everything is completed. And so when the writer of Hebrews says that, he's showing us that there's no condemnation for us now. There's nothing else that needs to be done. The great high priest, Jesus Christ, is sat down at the right hand of God. There's no more work of salvation to do. It's been done. In Hebrews chapter 10, you can look this up, and I would, I would tell you to look it up. <clears throat> Excuse me, and read it for yourself. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 22. And you'll see there that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. What this also lets us know is that he is in the place of supreme honor and exercising his authority to save. So the condemnation fails for us as believers because Christ died for us. Christ is risen to life. Who is he that condemns? Christ died. Christ is risen. Christ is at the right hand of God. But then letter D, if you could write this down, because he's interceding for us. If we were condemned, Christ would not intercede on our behalf. That's what scripture says. Take a look at verse 34 of Hebrews chapter 8. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. That was one of the things that we mentioned. He's risen again. That's another thing that we mentioned. He's even at the right hand of God. <clears throat> That's the third thing that we mentioned. And then fourthly, who also maketh intercession for us. There is no condemnation for us. It fails because Christ is interceding on our behalf. 
Yes, the Spirit intercedes for us, but also it is the work of Christ. He is our heavenly advocate, if you will. And because Christ is our advocate, he continues to guarantee for those who know him all the benefits of his death. Think about that. Because Christ is our heavenly advocate, he is continually and enduringly guaranteeing all the benefits of his death. The question is, who is he that condemns? There never will, never has been, or never has been, or never will be a legitimate answer to that question because of Christ. Nobody can say legitimately, I can condemn that person. No, there is none. So every believer is more than a conqueror since God is for us, since he has delivered up his son for us. No accusation can stand against us. No one can condemn us. And then question number five, verse 35, he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 35, if you will. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or pearl or sword as is written for thy sakes? We are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The answer to this question is, who can separate us from the love of Christ? No one or nothing. But once again, we find Paul reminding us and speaking to us that our faith is not meant to be a bed of roses. Our faith is not meant to be all flowers and no thorns. Because we see, first of all here in this passage, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Letter A, if you will, write this down. The adversaries. There are going to be those that try. Paul lists for us uh, different adversaries to make us think that we have been separated from the love of Christ. I put, this, I put it down this way. First, there's the hostile world. You see that when it says tribulation, distresses, or persecution. Does that not remind you of the hostile world? The adversaries of of tribulations, persecutions, and distresses, the hostile world. Then he lists another adversary, physical loss. What do you mean by that? He mentions famine or nakedness. The lack of adequate physical supplies. He's saying sometimes they can seem like adversaries. Then another adversary and a group that we could put it, a risk of death, he says, or peril or sword. There's a risk of death on one hand, peril, or sword, martyrdom on the other hand. Have there not been great Christians down throughout the ages who have been martyred for the cause of Christ? He's saying, so there's, there's three groups, if you will, of adversaries. There's the hostile world, there's, there's the physical loss, and there's the risk of death in peril, the possibilities of death, or sword, the possibility of martyrdom. And you know what he's saying here? He's saying that we are not suffering because we've turned from Christ. 
turn from God and we're living an ungodly life. No, what he's saying is the exact opposite is true. Sometimes we suffer, we have difficulty because we've been true to God. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? The adversaries can't. Why? Because he goes on to say, take a look, he shows us not only the adversaries, he shows us the victors. The victors. Verse 37. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Verse 38. The last part. Nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes, we may have adversaries, but we are victors. Verse 36 says that we're counted as sheep for the slaughter. But that will not even keep us from the love of God. We are completely victorious because of Christ. If you're in Christ, you're completely victorious. No matter what is thrown at us as believers, we stand in a position of victory. Our condition may seem like we're not victorious, but our position, we're victorious. Too many of us live our life like this is the real world. This is not the real world. I've often said the real world is what God is doing, not what man is doing. This is all a mirage. How do you know this isn't the real world? Because this is all going to be destroyed one day. The real world is going to stand forever. All that God is doing. And what we find many times is when we live for this world, we're not living victorious, we're living as victims. The question is, how are you living? What I find interesting is that underneath the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul even mentions supernatural powers that cannot keep us from the love of God. He states Nothing, he states very emphatically that nothing on this earth, nothing among the supernatural powers will ever be able to separate us from God's love. You know, one of the things that we've got to remember over and over again, not only do we need to live as victors and not as victims, but we need to remind ourselves over and over again that Jesus Christ is Lord over all. That he is Lord over all, all circumstances, all supernatural power, anything that this world can throw at you. He is Lord over all. And because of that, nothing can separate me from his love. In Colossians chapter 2, in verse 15, the Bible says, about Jesus and having spoiled principalities and powers he made a show of them openly triumphing over them in it Jesus Lord over all things presently Jesus Lord over all things to come Jesus Lord over all things in earth Jesus Lord over all things in heaven and it is he who has given himself for us because he loved us And nothing can separate us from that love. Paul gave us five questions. And he's answered every one of them for us. Anything that could be thrown at us possibly that anybody could even imagine that could try and make us believe that we are separated from the love of God, Paul shoots down 
with arguments and logic underneath the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to once again help us remember that in Christ, our position is that we are not victims, we are victors. That we are more than conquerors. We are not, we are not condemned. We have overcome condemnation because of Christ. The question is, how are you living? How are you living? You say, Pastor, but how do I live this way? You preached for four weeks on Romans 8. How do I live this way? I want this type of Christianity. You live this way the same way that you should always live. I say, well, what is that? Let me ask you a question. How did you get saved? Well, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says, for by, gra- for by grace are you saved, what? Through faith. Did not Paul condemn the Galatians? Oh, you foolish Galatians, he said. You're saying, you silly, silly people. Why do you think that you're saved by faith and then, and then you, you've got to walk in this Christian life by your own strength? No, the way that you live Romans 8, the way that you live uncondemned, the way that you live more than victorious, the way that you live uh, um, knowing that you are not separated from the love of God is the same way that you came to Christ. It is through faith, claiming the promises of the Word of God. That's the way that you live it. See, too many times what we want is we want a one, two, three process. Okay, well, I did this, check. I did this, check. I did this, check. And so therefore, now I'm living. No. What God says is I want you to live by faith. Listen, the whole Christian life, the only way that you will be able to live Romans 8 out, the whole Christian life, it is based upon faith. Nothing else. You just have to trust God. It is a process that you go through. It is a process that you grow in. You know what Romans chapter 8 is? It's an exposition not only on our assurance of salvation, but it also shows us our sanctification process. And Paul is trying to get us as Christians through the, underneath the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Folks, this is the way the Christian life is to be lived. Right here, this is it. You know, we've put so many other things into the Christian life. We've made the Christian life so much more complicated than what it needs to be. We've added so many man-made things in the Christian life. If we would just live this out, I think that we would find that our lives would be much simpler, much sweeter, and we sense the presence of the Savior much more.